I want to welcome you all as you sit in your living room, at your kitchen table, at your desk, people that are tuning in online. Uh, It's the best we have today, and it's wonderful to be able to share the Word of God with you. You know, if you are saved today by the grace of God, then worship. Worship the Lord. Be grateful for all the amazing grace that his love has wrought in your life. And if you're not saved, maybe you're tuning in today and and you don't know the Lord Jesus yet. My prayer for you is that you would be convicted, awakened of your great need, and come to know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. And so it's it's a blessing to share the Word of God with you. Let's begin with um, a word of prayer. Father, we bow together in your holy presence. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We've just sang those amazing words. You're the hymn of the ages. And Lord, we look forward to a day when after this world is past, we will sit in your presence forever. We'll glorify God. We will worship together. And the Lord Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords the one who is altogether worthy. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we open the Scriptures today that you would touch our hearts. Those of us that are saved, help us, Lord, to be awed in your presence and worship you as we think of all the grace of God in our life. And, Lord, I just pray for any today that might hear this message. If they're not saved by the grace of God, then I pray to awaken them, convict them of their sin, Bring them to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, all for the glory of God. And so we ask your richest blessing as we open the word together. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. All right, so my message this morning is about the sovereignty of God, the free will of man, and my personal responsibility. This is part two. I spoke about this the last time that I shared from the scriptures. And I want to entitle this message today, Chosen, Appointed, and Responsible. And so if you are saved by the grace of God today, you have been chosen. You've been appointed, and you are responsible. And if you're not saved... You also have the incredible opportunity of coming into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's our prayer. Uh, Today, I want to show how God's will and man's free will converge in salvation. And so this is a, a very difficult topic to explain And I am going to seek, by the grace of God, to show you how God in his sovereign workings in our lives and and our free choice converge in the salvation of our souls. And so, I want to begin by reading in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. If you can follow with me, I think it would be a blessing to you. John 15, we're going to read at verse 16. 
This is what Jesus said to his own disciples the night before he was crucified. John 15 and 16, this is what it says. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you or appointed you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and whatever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. The very essence of Christian living is to go forth and bear fruit. That's why God saved us. Among other things, our purpose today in this world is to go forth and bear fruit for the glory of God. You know, when when Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, I think it was some deep, profound teaching that he was giving them. And I think for those that sat there that night, they started to enter into a deeper sense of truth. Maybe they thought, you know, it's pretty good that, that I'm here. I'm a disciple. And, uh, you know, I've walked with the Lord for these three, three and a half years. And I just think how privileged I've been. No, Jesus pointed out to them, you have not chosen me. But I have chosen you, and I have appointed you. You have personal responsibility. What was he teaching them in this passage? Well, first of all, he told them that persecution was coming. Be warned of this, because this life is is not going to be easy for you. He also taught them in this passage the great need for the Holy Spirit, and the need for intimacy with the Lord. Abide in me, for without me, you can do nothing. He taught them the importance of love, love one another, and obedience to Christ. He also told them that they would be hated by the world, and that in this world they would have tribulation And this shouldn't come as a surprise. But ultimately, he taught them in this passage. They were chosen by God. They had an appointed responsibility. And they would be kept. They would be kept secure through this life. And ultimately, they would be with Christ in glory. Let's read also in... Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read at verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And them he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, 
Them he also glorified. That is profound truth. I can't even begin to explain this to you, but what I can gather from this passage is that this is God's eternal purpose. In bringing many sons to glory, the ultimate desire of the heart of God is that mankind would be brought into conformity with the image of Jesus Christ. You know that there is no idea of any human merit in this passage. All human merit is gone. There were those who were marked out, predestined, marked out for purposes of grace, destined for glory, awakened in the soul. They were called by God, and they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were declared righteous, justified. And notice that all of these are in the the present tense. And when he comes to the very end of that, we would look forward to that and say, well, and someday we will be glorified. That's not what he says in this passage. He says, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and it's it's past tense. They've been predestinated. They've been called. They also were justified. And whom they ju- were justified, them he also glorified. And so God who is eternal, the end from the beginning is the same with God. He looks down through the ages of eternity and he says, those who were predestined will be called They will be justified, and they will be glorified. And so, if you are here today listening to this message, and and you are saved by the grace of God, you are absolutely secure. Your eternal destiny is already sealed, and you are guaranteed of it as if it has already happened. Let's read another passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to read at verse 4. So what we have seen so far is the sovereignty of God in choosing, electing, predestinating, justifying, and glorifying What we're going to see today in this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is an extension of the very heart of God. How great is the scope? How how inclusive is the compass? 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. It says that God, our Savior, who will have all men... To be saved. This is God's will. God our Savior will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is God's will? His will is that every single person will be saved and they will come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's read one more passage in 2 Peter chapter 3. And verse 9, 
2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering toward us. Catch this. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yes, it is true that God in his sovereignty has made a choice. And yes, it is true that God has predestinated many, many sons to glory. But his will is very clear in these last two passages that we read that he wants all to come to the knowledge of the truth. And he is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so as I grapple with these, these amazing truths that are in the scriptures, it is, humanly speaking, almost impossible to bring them together. You know, you'll probably remember this slide. Okay, it's not turning. There it is. Perfect. You'll remember this slide. Two parable lines of truth that run through the Bible. They are parallel, and it almost appears like they don't meet. The sovereignty of God and man's responsibility, man's free will, they run through the Scriptures. And you can see it right from the very beginning of Scripture. Take Abel and Cain for an example. God expected them to bring an offering. And Cain, his offering was not accepted by God because he brought the fruit of his own labor. Abel's offering was accepted. You might say, well, that's because Abel was chosen and Cain was not. But to the contrary, let me remind you of what it says in Genesis chapter 4. It says that God went back to Cain and said, if you, will not, if you bring what God expects, will you not be accepted? And then he says, if you do not do what is right, then sin lieth at your door. And so here is man's accountability. God provided what the criteria was, and Cain chose something else, and he was angry that his brother was accepted and he wasn't. And so God said to him, Cain, if you do right, you will be accepted. But if you do not right, then sin lies at your door. And so Cain, in his free will, he made a choice. He went out and he rose up and he killed his brother. You come to the story of Jacob and Esau. And you might say, well, Jacob was chosen. And he was. But Esau had the birthright. But Esau made a deliberate choice. The free will of his, of his own doing, he sold his birthright. He didn't want it. He valued it as nothing. And he went out and he made a deliberate choice. And God held him accountable for that choice. You can see this all through the scriptures. You come to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is told to let the people go. And Pharaoh hardens his heart. And you might say, well, that's because 
God ordained it, and it's true. But Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he was held accountable for hardening his heart. And then eventually it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You come all down through the Old Testament. You see it in the story of Ruth. And you think of that day that Ruth had to make a deliberate choice. And she goes so far with Naomi. And eventually, Naomi says, just, just go back. And, and one, Orpah, she makes that choice to go back. And, and Ruth makes that choice to say, no, your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. And she makes that, that free will choice. And she came into all the blessings of God. You can see this through many people's lives in Scripture. Moses and David and Solomon and all of these people. You can see how God in his sovereignty had ordained and man in his free will made choice and was held accountable for that choice. And so I want to speak to you today particularly, can you go to the next slide, about three things. I want to speak to you about man's will. I want to speak to you about God's will. And I want to speak to you about something that I have called the moment of truth. So if we consider man's will for a moment, you know, man was created in the image of God. And in this sense, we are different than animals and all other creation. We have a moral accountability, a moral conscience. And man, I believe, is given the ability to make a rational choice made in the image of God, with a conscience, given a moral responsibility. But something happened. We fell. And therefore, man's will has been corrupted by his sinful nature. And it is predisposed to choosing sin, to choosing darkness, lust, and lies, because our deeds are evil. Scripture says that in John chapter 3. We are naturally carnal beings of the earth, and we have desires that are of our sinful nature. We are depraved. We, we come into this world with a sinful nature, and so we go astray. And normally what happens to everyone that has sin in their life that doesn't know God, they hide from God. And they turn away from God. But we are ultimately responsible for the sin that we commit and the choices that we make. And so we have a personal responsibility and a personal accountability. You know, I just, this comes to mind. On Friday night, uh, there wasn't very many people on the street, and we were out giving out tracks. And I walked up to this girl, and I handed her a track, and the track said, where are you going? And she looked at the track, and this is exactly what she said. She said, I'm going to hell, and I can't wait to get there. And she walked on, and I said, you don't have to go to hell. She said, no, I want to. We are accountable for the choices that we make. 
And even though every single one of us have opportunity, many, many, many people will choose to reject Christ. They will live a life of sin, and they will die in their sins, and they will end up in hell. And yet God is not willing that any should perish. He's calling, calling us to come and accept this free grace of God that is abundant and is available. That's man's will. How about God's will? Now, God's will, on the other hand, is that none should perish. We read that in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. God's will is that all should repent, which means change your mind. If you don't believe in God, change your mind. If you are pursuing a life of sin, change your mind. If you are pursuing a life without God, change your mind. Change your direction. Surrender your life to God. God's will is that none should perish and that all should repent. God's will is that all men should honor the Son. John chapter 5, it says it very clearly in verse 23. God's will is that all men should honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you honor the Lord Jesus in your life? Do I honor the Lord Jesus in my life? That's God's will, that we would honor the Son. God's will is that all men should come to the knowledge of the truth because he wants everyone to be saved. That is God's will. God's will is that redemption be made available to all. And so he says, whosoever will may come. You know, Jesus said to that woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God, you would ask and he would give you living water. He gives living water. He gives the Holy Spirit to everyone who asks of him, the scripture says. He's able to make us born again, deliver us from our sinful, corrupt nature. This is the will of God. In John chapter 1 and verse 29, it was announced to everyone that was there that day that this was the Lamb of God who was provided for the sin of the entire world. So God's will is that all will be saved. God's will is that all, that will, all will repent. And God's will is that redemption is made available to all. Okay, here's the moment of truth. So, how does this all culminate in the salvation of a soul? And you know, I've thought about this the last couple of weeks, and I'm trying to get my head around it. You know, there's a lot of things in your life and mine that we had absolutely no choice in. I had no choice in even coming into this world. I had no choice in who my parents would be. I had no choice in what I was taught as a child. I had no choice in the circumstances in which I was brought into. And neither did you. But there comes a moment where God reveals himself, where truth is revealed. And that is the moment of truth. You know, we are all responsible for what we hear. I believe that that is absolutely true. And 
The Spirit of God is in the world to convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. And as we hear the Scriptures and we hear the Word of God, we are accountable for what we hear. Do you know how many times Jesus said these words in the Gospels? As he, as he walked through Galilee and in his, in his public ministry, he taught many, many parables. And he said this phrase over and over and over again. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. You got ears to hear? Hear. Listen to what God is saying to you. And you get that repeated again to the churches in Revelation chapter 2, 3, and 4. Those who are in the church, let him have ears. He's got ears. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so a lot of people today, they want to have deaf ears. They don't want to listen to what God's saying. They want to turn away from it because they don't want to hear it. And, and yet, every one of us are responsible and accountable for what we hear. You know, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they be sent? And so God's design is that we as Christians would take the word of God and go into the world with it. What did I read in in John 15? He said, you were appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. When Jesus took his disciples to that mountain in Galilee, just before he ascended, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and disciple the nations, teaching them all things that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always. And so there comes a moment of truth in every person's life. And um, the word of God is spoken. We are convicted by it. The word of God is revealed. And then the human will engages. This is where I want to speak on on the culmination, uh, the converging of God's will and man's will. Now, I believe that many people know the word of God, know the truth of scripture, know what God's will is, and yet they have rejected it. They are accountable for that rejection. Think about it in your own life. When did you come to know the Lord? What was that moment like? It was a moment of truth. It was a moment when you were personally convicted, you repented, you accepted the claims of Christ for your life. I want to look at this as an example. Um, I want to share with you an example of a, of a man in Scripture that this is so clearly illustrated. I'm sure that most of you would probably know the name uh, Nabil Qureshi. Nabil Qureshi um, wrote a book called Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus. Nabil Qureshi was raised in a very strict religious home. Um, His parents were Muslim. His family heritage was Islam. And he was a, a deep studier of 
the Islam religion. He was, he was a man who really believed it and wanted to live his life according to the tenets of Islam. God, in his sovereignty, brought Nabil into communication with a Christian who shared the gospel with him. And if you read that book, it's amazing because chapter after chapter, Nabil is arguing with this Christian. And he begins to search for truth. And he is bent on proving that Jesus is nothing more than a prophet. He is not the Son of God, and he is not deity, and he is not the Savior, and he didn't die on the cross because Muslims don't believe that he actually died, and that this is not true. And so Nabil is, is bent on proving to this Christian that his thinking was wrong. And on that journey, God opens Nabil's mind to be exposed to truth. Okay, so what happens now? You see the will of God and purposes of grace for Nabil's life brings him into contact with the truth of the gospel, convicts him with this truth. And if you listen to Nabil in, in some of his messages that are still online, unfortunately he's passed away, uh, but his messages are still online. He says this. He says, there came a moment in my life where I understood that Jesus really was the Son of God. Now here's the critical moment. What am I going to do with that? Because if Nabil actually acted on that belief, he would lose everything. His family, his religion, his, his heritage, and all of his future social engagement with these people. But you know what he said? He said, it was more important to me to know the truth and to believe it no matter what it cost. And he made a decision. I have been faced with truth. I repent of my sins. I'm convicted by it, and I believe it. And at that moment, he was saved by the grace of God. His destiny was sealed. His future was secure. But he lost that connection with his heritage, his family connections, his social network, and his religion. You see, not everybody is willing to pay that price. That's why Jesus said, If any man will follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, it, it sometimes will cost you a lot. There are people that are very religious, and they don't know Christ. And they are stooped in their religion. But really, they're just following something that's an empty, man-made philosophy, and they don't know Christ. And when truth is spoken, and when it is revealed, there is a moment of truth when they are convinced by God, and they believe it, and their life is changed. It's a critical moment of either acceptance or rejection. And I want to illustrate that by the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, can we just go to the next slide? <clears throat> Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. 
This is the story of Saul of Tarsus. Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, any Christians that was, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly there shone round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth. He heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said unto him, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the goads. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. I want to take this as I wrap up this message today and just share with you an example of how the sovereign will of God and the free will of man converge in the salvation of a soul. Now, your story might not be as dramatic as the Apostle Paul. And your moment of truth might not be as clearly defined as it was in the life of the Apostle Paul. But I believe that if you have come to know Christ as your Savior, you had a moment of truth. Truth was spoken. Truth convicted you. You repented. You believed the Lord Jesus Christ, and you were saved by the grace of God, and you are secure. Here's what happened with the Apostle Paul. You know, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul tells his own story. And he says that he was set apart, set apart for God from before he was born. That is a clear illustration of the sovereignty of God. And it says that in his religion, he exceeded many because he was passionate about his religion. He, he actually had confidence in his own flesh. And if you read in Philippians chapter 3, it says that he was of the stock of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised and he was concerning the law, blameless, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he, he is going about in his law keeping. He is proud of his pedigree and his bent was to destroy Christians. If you read about what Paul says about himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he was a blasphemer. He was murderous of heart. He didn't even realize that he was an enemy opposing God. And one day, he was arrested by God as he sought to destroy Christians. He's on his way to Damascus. He's got letters. He's going to persecute and torture and maybe kill Christians. And he is arrested by God. He is convicted of his sin. Imagine. Here was this proud man who, who was going to stamp out Christianity. And he's riding to Damascus. And this light shone from heaven. And it knocked him down off his horse. And, and here he was. Wow, shocked by this. What a picture of how people can be literally arrested by truth. When truth is light that comes into darkness and it reveals sin and it convicts us, 
Paul was a man who, who was bent and going against the Lord, arrested by God, and truth was, was presented to him. He was illuminated. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Takes the word of God and shines it into our hearts and it illuminates our thinking. And, and he realizes this one who was here and was crucified and all his followers that I'm trying to kill, he's alive. And, and, and Paul says, who, who are you? And he hears the voice, I am Jesus. Wow, what a moment of truth for Paul. He is illuminated with this amazing truth. He realizes that Jesus is alive, and he realizes at that moment, I have been fighting against God. Can I stop there for a moment? You know, if you're listening to this message today, and you are pursuing a life of sin, and you are blaspheming God, and you are bent on your own way, I want you to realize that by the truth of God, you are fighting against God. God has purposes of grace. He wants all men to come to repentance. He wants all men to believe the truth. And you can be arrested by God through the word of God and the Holy Spirit, just like Paul was. Now there's a moment of truth. Okay, this is where the human will engages. Truth has been revealed. I know that it's right. Am I going to accept it or am I going to reject it? Now what if Paul had said, I don't care who you are. I'm not listening to you. I'm going to continue on my way and kill these Christians. His life would have been absolutely altogether different. But Paul, in his human will, after he was pointed to truth and faced with truth, he had this incredible moment where everything changed for him. He repented of his direction. He changed his way. He humbled his heart. He said, Lord, who are you? And he says, what do you want me to do? At that very moment, this moment of truth, it was revealed to the Apostle Paul. He repented. He surrendered his life to God. He believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He believed the gospel. He was justified and he was bound for glory. And so it brings me back to this truth that he presented in Romans chapter 8. I wonder if, if Paul was even thinking about his own life when he talked about foreknowledge and he was chosen. Then he was called by God. He believed the gospel. He was justified and bound for glory. You know, the sinner in an act of human will puts faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is an act of human will. When truth is presented, the human will says, I will believe this. And they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. The soul is saved. And God declares the sinner righteous because he has believed on Jesus. And when Jesus died on that cross, our sin was taken away. And every person that believes on him comes into this relationship with God and is immediately born of God. God declares a sinner to be righteous He now has peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the assurance of salvation continues over time by reading the scriptures. And so God in his sovereignty is in control of everything. And man in his free will is held accountable for the truth that has been revealed to him. 
And amazing truth is that when my will accepts God's truth, I am born of God, I am saved by the grace of God, and I come into all the blessings of eternal life. You know, when, when Paul wrote about the sovereignty of God in the book of Romans, there's three chapters in Romans that's all about the sovereignty of God. It's really about the nation of Israel and God's sovereign choice. Romans 9, 10, and 11. And, and really what he's, he is in awe when he thinks about the sovereignty of God. And Paul writes this dexology that I want to share with you as I wrap up this message today. When Paul thinks about how sovereign God is, how incredibly wise he is, and all that God has done in his life, he says this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him? And shall it not be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He's the theme of the ages. We're going to sing unto him that loved us, washed us from our sins for all eternity. And so as I look at the grace of God and the mercy of God and the, the sovereign will of God in my own life, I can only worship that I ever came to know truth and that I personally believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and had the, the forgiveness of my sins. And our prayer and desire is that if you're a believer, you would enjoy this today. You'd feel that sense of security. You'd worship God and all of his sovereign purpose of grace in your life. And if you're not a believer, our desire is that you would come to accept this truth. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be brought into all the blessings of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for your mercy and grace toward us. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed truth to us and you have revealed the person of Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection as the only answer for our sin. And we thank you, Lord, that when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, and that this man, who offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at heaven. And so, Lord, we thank you that the work is finished, our souls are saved, we are bound for glory, and we worship you today and pray your blessing upon everyone that hears this message. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.